The opinions and views expressed in this video are purely for entertainment purposes and not for investment advice. Welcome back, goons, to another episode of Jack the Vault Trades. Um, today, we're going we're gonna to just focus on one main topic. Uh, we're going to talk about the commonalities between professional gambling and, uh, and trading, because I think uh, having done a little bit of both, there's, uh, there's quite a bit of similarity between the two of them. So, um, yeah, um, Caitlin, do you, you said you don't have any um, experience with gambling? No, I mean, I play the slot machine every now and again, but that's about it. Pretty much only when I go to Vegas. It's funny though, like whenever I do gamble, I always like, I, I've never been like wanting to lose money. I always go in there and I'll have like a hundred bucks or something like that. And like, that's the most I'm willing to lose. So like, if I go down to zero, I'll just can it. But like the way that I used to always play, like when, when I was just playing slots and stuff like that, is like, if I would win money, I'd always put my original hundred bucks back in my wallet. wouldn't touch it again. So like I'd go in there and if I hit like a little jackpot and made like two or 300 bucks, then I would take the hundred bucks that I started with, put it in my wallet, not touch it and just play with the rest of the money. And then if I started to get back down again, like if I got within like a hundred bucks of my original position, then I'd just leave. Cause I'd be like in my head, I'm like, okay, the casino always wins and I want to go out here with some money. So you totally <laughs> approach it as like a, uh, like a activity that's pure luck. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm playing slots, right? Like it, it is pure luck. <laughs> I, don't, I never know how to play any of the card games. Yeah, you're right. Because you play, well, like, what's your background in poker and stuff? Right? You so used to I, do a lot of poker. I did, but see, the I should start with the fact that I'm Chinese, and Chinese are known to be gamblers. Like you see those buses, you know they. they, really? they, they you have those tour buses they just take all the grandmas and grandpas down to like Niagara Falls or wherever because it's like this is a big business and it's like because Chinese culture yeah. is huge on like fortune and like destiny and all that shit so they've been pre-wired to be gamblers which is horrible mm. and uh and uh and I know some families that have been ruined by it but like um but so like growing up my friends were in high school my friends are Vietnamese as soon as we were of age we started driving down to Port Perry uh <laughs> we started playing cards and then um, the, the first game I started to play was Pai Gao because I looked because even then I knew I looked at the table and I was like the most even game I could find there was Pai Gao. It was like almost exactly 50-50 between you and the house. And so the only way the, um, the house could take any money from you is um, every time you win, they take a little bit of a commission. Okay. So and it's basically so it's like, like yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's basically like seven card poker uh, with um, yeah, it's basically seven card poker hands with two extra cards. Um, so, so that was my first, um, foray into gambling. And then, um, and then when poker stars came out, when it went online, that's when I, that's when I really started playing. Okay. So what's your, what's your, like, kind of like walk, walk me through like your thought process. I'm kind of curious, like when you're, when you're playing a game, when like, you think you're going to win, like when you lose, like it, what are, what are the kind of similarities between that and trading? Uh, so I think the first thing is just like trading, um, don't look at, well, especially with poker, it's, um, there is obviously luck involved, but like, it's a lot like trading in that it seems like gibberish to anybody that's uninformed uh, and uneducated in the area. But once you kind of know some of the strategies and you kind of understand the ins and outs of it, then you start to realize, yeah, there's actually a lot that I can do to maximize my chance for profit, um, or maximize my chance for winning. Um, and the biggest thing, the biggest similarity, and I think you would agree, is that um, the first thing that I learned was that you got to fold almost every hand. Like you only play like the high probability hands, right? Yeah, and I was just so, going like, to ask you that because I, was, I, was, I don't, I don't know anything about poker, but that's what I was thinking. Is like you know when you're trading and stuff like that, they always say 
just because you're at your screen doesn't mean you have to take a trade, right? Like, you know, you and I, like when we trade, we'll, we'll wait and wait and wait and see if something shows up. And if something shows up, depending on the probability, like depending on how much we like, it kind of determines how much capital we'll risk, right? So if you see those, those like super high odd setups, those are the ones that you go big on, ones that are, you know, decent odds, you might go a little bit smaller and the ones that are kind of like 50-50, you just don't even touch them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just like trading, there's um, there's edges. So there's one edge in cards. I would I would say there's one edge in terms of cards, and there's one edge in terms of um, playing the player, I guess. And so the edge in cards is easy. Like there's there's literally so many combinations of cards you could be dealt, and then you you would know which ones are high probability to win, and then that's where you fold. Because like I will just keep folding until I get one of those high probability hands. And then, so it's a battle of like attrition, basically, like, because there's small blind, big blind. So I'm losing every money a little bit every cycle. And so I might lose money for mm -hmm. 15 straight games before, or 15 straight hands before I have a playable hand. Uh, but then, so you have to make that one hand uh, mm -hmm. worth it. So that's one, just knowing the probability of winning with each particular hand that you get. And then the second thing is psychology. So you got to know the table you're playing at, because if you know the players you're playing, um, then you can get a bit of an edge too. So the reason I like poker, so I'm not, I'm okay live playing, but when it's, when it's online, I'm completely, I'm a lot better and especially in tournament. And so like when I'm playing online, because you can't read the other person's facial expressions, what I learned to read was their timing. So like, and the, what's great about poker stars is that you can actually write notes about the other players and just kind of reference it. So a lot of times I would just fold a bunch of hands, but I'd be watching each player and seeing like, the size of their bet and how quickly they made that bet. And then I want to see the cards they had when they made that bet. And so you kind of get a profile of each player. Like this guy, it's high risk. This guy, when he slows down and thinks about it, he's just re he's really trying to get you to think he's thinking about it, but he's got strong hands. Like there's just there's little characteristics. And so those are really important. Um, so then once you know the people that you're playing against, um, and then you know, obviously, the cards that you have, and it becomes a little bit easier to win. Yeah, super interesting. It's almost like... You're basically just like learning a pattern like you would in the in the stock market only it's a only it's like the way a person actually is going to play it's the exact same thing i actually never thought of it like that yeah it actually is it's like yeah it's like when you, when you look at it like you know if i'm thinking of the way i trade and stuff like i'm looking at a pattern and i'm looking like, like okay like when i'm watching something happening i can see that this is you know a bunch of people chasing the like i know what people are doing like it's a bunch of people chasing the stock up or panicking out or it's stop loss is getting hit or whatever and i can react based on that so it's almost kind of the exact same thing, only instead of, instead of, you know, I guess, well, I guess it is the same thing if you're doing it online, because if you're in person, you're actually seeing the person like, like firsthand. But if you're on poker stars, it's almost identical. Like you're basically seeing like how fast they make moves and what the outcomes are based like through the computer. You're trying to read their psychology. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then, so like, so then there's where one area where you can get an advantage. So let's, let's say you've got a table mostly full of tight players. So they're smart, they're cautious. Um, so what happens is if I'm the big blind, which means I'm already money in before I even see the cards, right? By the time it comes back to me, if I see a bunch of folds, like more than half the table folds, and I know the three left are kind of like tight players, I'll raise. I will have garbage. I might even look at the cards, but I'll raise because I just want to force them out and just take the blinds. And, uh, and quite a bit, and quite mm. often that, just doing that will pay for my next couple of rotations. Okay. And so you get so it yeah, until I get a really good playable hand. And then when you get the playable hand, you kind of you kind of milk it too. And then, so the reason I like playing tournament is because um, there's a finite amount of time. The dynamics change when it's just a cash game because guys can keep on buying back. And so sometimes 
they're they're not as afraid to make certain moves. It's not as much on the line. I need as much on the line as possible for them to feel like there's some urgency, and then so then then it's easier for me to predict how they think how they're thinking. Okay. Right. Because a guy could be super rich, and he could be at like a you know one two table, and you know I have a decent stack, and he's and then he goes all in. You're like ah, he's out, and then he just comes back with another stack. I'm like fuck, okay, he's got unlimited cash. Like, so then it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit yeah. harder, you know. But okay. what That's I what I, but what I learned about poker, and I think is a thousand percent applicable to trading, is um it, there was this book. It's called Thinking in Bets. I absolutely love it. She's a female poker player, professional player. And then she, she learned this thing called resulting, which is a bias, which is um, we, we judge the quality of our decisions based on the result of the, those decisions. And so if you make a chain of decisions with an expected outcome and the outcome happens, you, you naturally think, okay, well, that was the right chain of events and that was the right chain of decisions and then it works. So then it builds, it starts to reinforce in your head that this is what to do to get this result. The problem is when it comes to something as complicated as life, or even not as complicated as life, but still complicated like poker, oftentimes a lot of your decisions have very little bearing on the outcome because there's like eight other players. So their, their decisions have a lot of bearing in the outcome as well. Like what cards they decide to fold and whatnot. And so the, the fallacy is that one, you could get tripped up thinking that you made, a, you made the correct series of decisions based on the result that you wanted. Or sometimes you can make the absolute perfect decisions from A to Z and still not get the result that you want. Because it's just life, like it's just you know you just have no control over it, right? You can make every decision, and at the end, the card that you didn't want, the one card in the deck that that will fuck you over, came out, and it's like, uh, yeah, that's so funny, man. I think that I think that's why like there's so many similarities between that and and trading too. Is like it's it's so it's so hard to learn and so hard to get good at because it's so backwards to like how people are designed and how we're designed to think, right? Like it's I think we talked about it last episode when I was saying like. The same thing in like stock trading like i can see you know a perfect setup that i know you know pays off 99 percent of the time go in big because it's like this always works and then you get blown out and it's it it could be like you you know you go back and you research it like i always do and i'm looking at it looking at it it's like everything was perfect like everything lined up exactly the way it was supposed to but for whatever reason you know it just it just stops you out and you end up taking a loss on it so it's the same it's the same kind of thing. Like it's just, but that's that's the probability game, right? Is like that's why it's it's so difficult for people to to I think become like professional uh, traders or poker players or whatever is because like you know if you think about I don't know, I'm trying to think of another job. It's like if you learn how to let's just say you learn how to drive a boat or something like that, or like you learn how to drive a car. It's just like you you know like when you hit the brake, your car is going to slow down. Like you know when you hit the gas, your car is going to accelerate. Like that happens. 100 percent of the time right unless you're on ice or something but that's besides the point <laughs> but you know outside of that like if you know if that's what you do or like if you're running let's let, let's say you're running like a, a machine like you know you're like working a factory or you, you like run a chainsaw or something like that it's like you know what the outcome is when you use this tool like it's the same every time so you learn that and you expect that and you get used to that whereas like you know imagine you were imagine you were driving a car one day and like you're going up to the you're going up to a set of lights and you hit the brake and the car accelerates you know like that would just that would just throw your whole world for a loop you wouldn't know like what the hell is going on like you go back to the drawing board it's like none of this makes any sense and then you're you're scared to even get in the car again after that right but like as a trader as a gambler it's like 
you have to realize that like sometimes when you hit the brake, it's gonna it's gonna accelerate, <laughs> you know. And you just have to realize that most of the time when you hit the brake, it's gonna do what you want it to. But you still have to be prepared for those, you know, that five percent of the time or whatever it is that it's gonna do the complete opposite. And you just have to be able to go back into it the next day and essentially pretend that didn't even happen and just play it like the way you would have regardless. Yeah, I think um, you just reminded me like a characteristic. I'm trying to summarize it but like i think successful traders and and gamblers need this characteristic of being like to look kind of look outside of themselves i guess i'm trying to say like you're trying to you can you can mm -hmm. assess your decisions kind of objectively because otherwise how how yeah. would you see outside of the situation right yeah well it's funny i was just like it's kind of unrelated but also not too unrelated and like i'm not going to go into detail but like, you know, obviously it's the 20 year anniversary of 9-11 right now. So I was, I was watching one of those documentaries the other day and um, there's like 10 of them that just came out on Netflix. But yeah. like, you know, like I remember it vividly because like I was in school, we watched it on TV and everything. So, you know, like it's it's obviously a big thing in everyone's mind. And when I can't remember the exact details, but basically the, the documentary I was watching, one of the ladies that was in Congress, um, they they passed a bill that essentially allowed, you know, America to go to war with anybody and there, it was you know like like there's a lot more details but long story short it was basically like no rules and they could go you know essentially do whatever they needed to do to stop the terrorists right and she was the only person and i think it was like there was like well over 100 it might have even been 200 congress people that voted like all for this and she was the only person that voted no and like she was the only one that was in the documentary but it was just interesting because she, when she was talking she was saying like you know i like i like she was saying how she was upset and she didn't agree with everything and she was on the same page as everyone else. But her, her standpoint was basically like, you know, I'm trying to look at this completely objectively. Like she's like, I'm upset too, but I'm trying to not be upset so that I can think of this, you know, from an outside perspective, look at the long-term implications. Like where is this bill going to put us 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the road if we allow these, these rules to pass. Right. And she was the only one, out of everyone and she said she, she was getting like death threats and all this kind of stuff so it's like you know extreme example obviously but like yeah. it's i think that's just kind of speaks to our point is like the ratio you know you're talking one in 200 people who was able to you know whether or not that was the right vote or not or besides the point but it's you know you have one in 200 people who's sitting there saying okay like i'm upset but i need to sit back and think about this objectively and what are the long-term implications so you're looking at you know a half a percentage of that group of people that's willing that's able to think like that objectively so it's that's why i think it's such a tough thing to do to to be a trader or a professional poker player or whatever is because you always have to think like that and even when you're angry even when you're frustrated even when you're stressed you have to be able to like immediately pull yourself out of that and like you know look at yourself like the coach standing over your shoulder and being like no 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 like what's the right thing to do like you know don't don't act on impulse here yeah yeah, acting on impulse gets well, almost never leads to good a uh, good thing. Which leads me to another common term in in poker that I think is common in trading, but I don't know if there's a term for it. It's called <laughs> going full tilt. Have you heard of that term before? Mm. Is that just like going all in? No, so loading the boat. <laughs> it, it means losing your shit after you lost. <laughs> oh, it's just like getting mad and flipping the table over. And... Right, because like we were just saying, like people like things to make sense and we like order and predictability and then like even among the best yeah. players you're like i do everything right 
and I still lose. Like, it's just a human thing to get to flip out. And so going full tilt is a common thing. I've gone full tilt quite a few times where it's like, I either I played a, I just, I, I just lost a series of hands that I should have won, or I lost a hand to a complete moron, and I'm just like, you don't deserve this, and you took my money kind of thing. Whatever the trigger yeah. is, you go full tilt. And then what, what leads to that is like, it just cons, cons, uh, completely undermines your decision making from that point on. And it's like, if you realize you're going tilt, you need to stop and walk away. But 99.9% of the time, you're like, let's go, motherfucker. I want revenge. Yeah. Yeah. And then you lose every time. Because it's like, it's such a human thing, right? Like, you know, like we were bred, like fighting for our lives in the wilderness. Like that's how humans evolve, right? So like our natural reaction when something happens that we don't want to happen or we're upset is to fight. Like we want to attack because it's like, you know, we can just give everything into this and, you know, like battle and you know win at the end of the day but like if you're sitting there you know with a hand of cards or you're sitting there at a computer screen getting angry and screaming doesn't affect the outcome right which but that's like our instinct as humans to do that is to get upset and get aggressive but this is one of the few things where you know it just it literally does the complete opposite every time because you can't think straight yeah yeah and then and then i'm sure this probably happened to you but definitely happened to me which is like when when i go tilt in trading like sometimes you know like let's say you're shorting a stock you're short 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 it goes long you're like fuck it like go long and then it goes short and it's just you're just never on the right (laughs) side of the trade (laughs) yeah Yeah. i've definitely done that quite a few times my limit is three once that happens three times then i'm like fuck it i'm done with this stock (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's one of the most hilarious ones it's like apparently it's like it's probably like a universal bias or whatever it is like it's hilarious worse the absolute worst feeling because it's like you get stopped out short because it's perfect and then it like flips up and it breaks all the resistance and then it's like holding higher and you're like oh this is this is definitely a long it stopped me out short and now it's holding up here and then you get it long and then it tanks so you're like okay well that just trapped all along so let's go short and then it whips back up again so i think this touched on uh something else too like i think there's two types of people this happens to so i think there's the type that don't didn't really do too much research it's just kind of like just trying to like intuit their way through the market and they're like very beginnerish. and then there's guys like us who i think suffer a little bit more because we're like let's say we were short and we had a thesis and we thought we were right and we were wrong it goes the other way then we start looking through our work like holy shit where do we go wrong like you know what i mean then we start looking for reasons to to say that okay this is why we're wrong and then now it's going up and then so we go the other way and it goes back down you're like and then that's what makes it worse i know i know (laughs) that's probably one of the biggest skills is trying to learn how to like walk away like if you take those losses like being able to just be like okay you know what like the markets are going to be open tomorrow like everything's gonna be fine let's just leave turn your phone off and come back the next day. Like it's really hard to do because you know, like you never want to, you know, like nobody else in the world goes to work and can lose money by the time they come home. (laughs) Every single person who goes to work makes money by the end of the day. Right. So like, that's the other thing is like when you go to work, like, you know, you basically go to work and you lose money. It's like, it's not a good feeling because it literally would have been more beneficial for you to stay home and take a vacation day essentially. So it's, yeah, it's, it's such a weird thing, but, but it's, it's just all those little skills you have to teach yourself. But like, I think the the core basis from that, even from like, from your perspective in poker and stuff is knowing that you know how to play, right? Like if you're not confident, then I don't think that you could ever be successful in either of those things because you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in your systems because if you don't, you might kind of get on like a little bit of a track where you're having like a bit of a winning streak. But then as soon as you take one loss, if you don't like truly 
believe in yourself and believe in your systems and you know you're you're confident in yourself then you're immediately just going to fall apart and you'll be way back where you started again like i've been there like it's happened to me a few times i actually like built the confidence and the you know the data set to to know that what i'm doing works yeah and the thing is i think having done both i would say poker's um meaningfully easier than trading um, just because I think there's a lot less variables, like the fundamentals are still there, the, the challenges and, and the strategies, but in terms of how much randomness is involved, I think it's very controllable. Because I, I know the times where like I've lost, it's much easier to walk away or identify like where it went wrong. Um, but with trading, man, it's like, there's so much to look at, like, it could go wrong in so many different ways, either from both your end and from the, the charts end, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a tricky thing. That's 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 where that's why I like to try and like keep it simple too. Eh? Like it's so easy to get overcomplicated, and I think everybody who's new kind of falls victim to that. Is where like you know you, you kind of get on the basis. Let's say you have a system where it's like you know you have a couple moving averages and you know your daily candle chart or whatever, and there's like these five or six little like triggers that when you see these things happen, you know like okay, that's my signal to go long or go short or whatever, and then all of a sudden it reverses and it stops you out. Well. Like, you know, I've been there where you start to go down that rabbit hole and like, you know, go through Twitter and like figure out like why people are saying it went the other way. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's because it broke this, you know, bolt, like Bollinger Band or whatever. And then you're like, oh, OK, well, I need to put that on my chart. And then you put that on your charts and then you're like, OK, I kind of get it. And then and then you're kind of like trading based on that. And then you lose again and you're like, oh, well, I must be missing something else. And then you try. But like sometimes you didn't miss anything. Right. It's just. It's just one of those fluke things that just stops you out or whatever. So you got to kind of ignore all that because you can get to a spot where your chart just looks like, you know, complete chaos. And there's, there's always something that's going to contradict you. So. Ah, oh, that reminds me. So well, what I was saying about poker being easy, um, the biggest thing is just understanding the pot odds and your hands. And then the rest is like, actually, so we can touch on this later, but like managing your pot, uh, your, your, your stack is just like portfolio management um, mm. or like bet size, uh, bet sizing. But this aspect, like just knowing the odds is like the most important or the, like the core fundamental where I think like with trading, it's like, so you, you maybe, I don't know how many different strategies you've learned, but like when I got into it, I, so I started looking at just reading candlesticks, then it was traditional chart patterns. And then it was like, you know, support resistance lines. And then I started going balls deep into Elliott wave. And then I looked into, uh, um, Bollinger bands, Ichimoku clouds, you name, you name that thing. And I've at least looked into it. Yeah. And then I found myself having like a bazillion things in the charts. And what ended up happening was it was it was the same thing. It ended up being the same result of looking at an empty chart, which was everything looked possible <laughs> based yeah. on the indicators. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why it's so funny. Like when I look at my charts now, like 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 people that are less successful at trading than I am, like will look at my chart and say like, oh, man, like that's all you have? Like, what are you, a beginner? Like, and they, they kind of like look down on me because I have like, I'll have like, you know, one or two indicators on my chart and like, that's it. Depending on what time frame I'm looking at. And it's kind of like, oh, like, that's all you use. Like, you're not worried about what it's doing on like the, you know, the 73 day moving average. And like, this and that. I'm like, <laughs> yes. you know, no, like, <laughs> like I literally like, to be honest, 90% of my decisions come from literally just the chart pattern itself. And then I have a couple indicators that I kind of use as like confirmation. So like if I see something setting up, let's say it's, let's say it's like a daily chart thing. And it's like, you know, it's, it's over the 50 day moving average. It's over the 200, which are the only two that I have on my charts. And I see a good, 
like daily chart setup. Then I'll say, okay, well, like it's in this spot, the daily chart looks good. So like, I'll go long. But like, if I see that exact same chart set up below both of those moving averages, the only time that I won't take that same trade is like, if it's really close to the moving averages, because then I know that they add a little bit of resistance, but if it's like far below, then I'll still take the same trade. And my goal will be to sell into those averages. So it's not like, I'm not like, you know, if it's not the perfect cross or the perfect setup, I don't, I don't trade based on moving averages. I use them as like rough indicators as to who's in control and like how far I should let my targets go. Like if we're over those, I'll give it a lot more room to go long. But if we're under those, I'll take profits a little bit quicker because I know that it's, you know, overall it's kind of heavy. That's like really the only, like that's all the only factor they have in the way that I look at stuff really. So I just had a thought and I want to see if you agree with this, like, because you just made me realize something like when we were first starting out, all these things that we're learning, it's almost, we almost treat them like as if they're like hard rules, like like a resistance line is a line, like it can't be broken kind of thing. <laughs> or like in moving average, like it's gonna bounce, it has to bounce, they always bounce, right? But the truth of the matter is like those indicators are like almost like a suggestion or like a point of interest. They don't really right. hold any, you know. No, they don't hold any weight. And like, that's why like one of the biggest things that I started to learn was that when you are looking at those resistance levels, if you're trying to dip by or short into a line or whatever, that's why it's always best to, started really small on add to a winner like that's the way that i've always started playing and i've had way more success because you know like i mean to be completely honest like i could probably make more money in individual trades if i if i just went all in on these lines but i know that the times that it blows through those my loss is going to be so big that it's going to wipe out like you know potentially weeks worth of profits so like what, I, what i've started doing is like you know, if I'm trying to enter short at say like five bucks and then like, you know, my target is say 450, like I'll, you know, I'll put maybe instead of putting, you know, a, a full size order at five bucks and then potentially having to stop out at 550, then, you know, I'll put like a tiny bit on maybe like a quarter of my size or even less at five. And then if, if I see it just, you know, straight tank and I don't have a chance to enter it back in, then that's fine. I'll just take that. Or like if it bounces, you know, it comes back up a little bit then I can just add in more. And then if I really start to see it fail, then I'll get in full size. But like, I might not be in full size until like say 470 and my target's still 450. So like, arguably I'm not making as much money on individual trades, but it saves you. If you look at the numbers over a long period of time, it saves you in the long run because you're not, you're not going all in every single time on those levels. Because I know that when I do take those losses, if I am all in, then it ends up being way more of a hit to my profits, like weeks worth of profits as, as opposed to like a day or less than a day. Right. Actually, you just made me realize, I, I just realized there is a difference between poker. I can't seem to equate it. Um, and it's, it's kind of like the sizing thing. When I'm making bets, um, a lot of times I'm not, the size of my bet doesn't have a lot to do with how much I want in return or or even risk, I was using the size of my bet to kind of like almost poke the other player to see what they have. So like, mm. I'll, I will show, I will look at the table, the cards on the table, and then you kind of know what hands are possible because they're cause based on the fact that they're still in you, you have to assume that they have something. And then so if you assume that, then you, what you want to know is how high or how strong that something is. And the only way to know that is put out a strong bet. You put out a weak bet, then you're baitingly put on a strong bet, right? So, right? So I would use like a, a strong enough bet that would feel like it's bait, but also strong enough to show strength. And then if they bet over me, I'll be like, fuck, this guy might have me kind of thing. And mm. I don't think there's a comparable in trading. 
No, because you can't really like you're not you're not deliberately baiting people with your orders. Yeah. I guess the only the only kind of similarity I could see is maybe like hidden order size. You're doing that because like when you make a trade, like you can like you know if I make a trade and I want to buy like ten thousand shares or something, I can have it display as like five hundred shares, so yeah. that if it's coming down to a line, you know you'll see. It on the tape going through like you'll see like you know 500 500 500 500 whatever of like my order being bought up but like my order will just sit there and won't move because I, it'll show 500 but you'll see all these all these orders getting executed even though there might be like a 10,000 share bid sitting there so then if people are seeing that then you know they'll be like oh we don't know how like nobody knows how big that position is so a lot of people will see that and then start buying and that's when you get a big like a big squeeze happening but you can really only like you can't do that on stuff that has like crazy high volume, like unless you have a ton of money. There's more so back in like the OTC stock days where like you're not trading huge volume sizes. And if you had like, you know, the, even the guys that had like a couple hundred thousand bucks in their account, like they could do that, where like they just put like, you know, a hundred thousand share order on something that's like a two dollar stock. And then, you know, it'll come down to a certain resistance level or like even just below a resistance level is kind of like a nice way to do it too. Like let's say like $2.50 on like an OTC is like, that's like your last support. And then it goes down to like, you know, 2.45 or something. You get like five cents below that. Everybody starts to hammer on short because like on OTCs, it was like the line was the line. Like it was literally like if it went one cent below or over, like you get in right then and there because it's just going to go. And then um, what guys will do is you put like a, a massive order, like a few cents below. So everybody jumps in short. And like, like if you have an, only if you have enough money, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of gutsy, but like, if you have enough money and you can accumulate all those shorts, then it'll flip around and it'll go long and all those guys ought to stop out. And it's really hard to get out when it's moving like that in OTCs and it would just go and go and go and go and go and you can make a ton of money. I got a question. What, those days you're playing OTCs, maybe even small guys, but probably mostly OTCs. Do you ever, mm-hmm. um, do you ever notice a whale playing there with you? Cause you're looking at the level twos, right? Do you ever do you, do you ever notice notice mm-hmm. like buy walls and sell like giant buy walls and sell walls and then they'll move and kind of disappear sometimes? Yeah, yeah, you see that on listed stocks too. Yeah, so I I'm not a hundred percent informed on how it works on the equity side, but on the crypto side, it's a really shady business. These guys are market makers, and so a lot of mm-hmm. times n- now they're mo- more institutional organized. But back in the day, it used to be just a, a whale, and what they do is like let's say you wanted to open up an exchange. Um, you know, and the problem with opening exchange is like, where's the liquidity coming from? And so like a whale will come around and let's say the whale is, uh, doing, has a lot of Ethereum there, they become the market maker. So they'll have an agreement with the exchange and say, yeah, I will provide the liquidity. <laughs> You're going to provide me with some uh, trader data. And so what happens is right. they'll play the, the bottom and the, they'll play both sides of the game. Right. And then, so when they have yeah. like a buy wall, it means they're, they want to, they want to sell into you. So they, they right. make that wall there and everybody's bids has to be above it. They'll chase it up, chase it up, chase it up. And when they've dumped all their bags, they create a sell wall and suddenly chase it, chase it, they chase it down. And where, where it's yeah. unfair is that they're getting the data from the exchanges. So the exchanges know where everyone's stops are. So if everyone's experienced that thing where like this, the, you know, the, the market's going and they oh, stop, you know, and it goes back. Like, yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I see those a lot, man. Like there was one, I think it was one like, I saw it was like two and a half weeks ago. There was one stock, I can't remember what it was, but it was like a four or five dollar stock and like pre-market highs were I think like, like, like call it like four dollars and 80 cents or something. And literally there was like a split second candle where it was like a one minute candle. It went from like 
$4.50, it wicked up to like $5.30 and then right back down within like the blink of an eye. So it's like, it just, it, it just like wick up like 50 or 60 cents and just stop out everybody who's short and then I come right back down and keep going. So it's the same thing. I think probably the big, one of the biggest examples was AMC. Like, I think that was the first time that all those guys got a taste of that because I remember everybody talking about it saying like, oh, it's like, it's manipulation. Like, look at the way, because that, there was that one day, I think it was a Friday, the chart was just trading like super thick, like just sideways all day long, like big top and bottom wicks all day, all day. And like, it just was like the ugliest looking chart. And like, like I knew that that was just, you know, hedge funds and stuff covering their shorts and they're just using all their, you know, they're just using all their shares to, to do exactly what we're saying just get out of their position and hold in that channel or they're just loading up or whatever they're doing. But everybody was all upset, like, oh, market makers and manipulation and this and that. And, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like, that's, that, like, that's what the stock market is. I mean, that's like, you, you can do that. It's just, you have to have enough money. Yeah. Like it's not illegal. <laughs> Cause they don't see the opposite side of it, right? Let's say a bigger enough group have, has a larger enough money, like it'll just crush them. Like they'll think it'd suffer a loss after yeah. that. Like what if I was worth like, you know, $10 billion and like, you know, I could just, I could throw like a billion dollar short order on like GameStop, for example, and like just crush that thing down to bankruptcy. Like it's not illegal. I can do that. I just have to have the capital to do so. <laughs> and I wonder if like, like whales will go against each other. Let's say you're, you're trying to push the stock up. You created a, a buy wall. I'm a bigger whale. I created an even monster sell wall and everyone starts to push down on you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Right, it's hilarious. Yeah. Sometimes guys, they do, they do, they'll do the short and the long and they just like channel it and they do what you said. They'll just lift one side once whatever position they want is full. So like if they want to go long, they'll, they'll bring it down. And then once it gets down to the level, they'll put that huge buy order there with hidden size and then they'll put a huge sell order right above it and they'll be accumulating like long and short. And then once they've gotten this want on say the, on the long side, they'll just lift the short and flip it all to cover orders and they'll basically just buy out of their short on the way up and just have this massive long position while they're squeezing out all the other guys. Yeah, you know what's ironic though? Like I, I, I know a lot of newer guys like called something like that manipulation, but I am, the way I'm looking at it is that's almost like tr real price discovery slash fair market because it's literally like who's in control other than money, right? It's just, yeah. right, it's so pure. I know. Well, that's, that's actually kind of a funny thing about like poker playing is like, you know, you can't go to a certain poker tables because it's like, oh, it might have like a $25,000 buy-in or something, right? Whereas like the markets aren't like that. Like it would be like, it'd be like me with, you know, zero experience and, you know, 50 bucks in my pocket sitting down to play against, you know, a table that's like a $100,000 buy-in, right? Like that's what the stock market is. Like you don't know who you're up against. That's why I always say I don't play against the big guys. I don't play against like, the guys that are day trading like Apple and Amazon and stuff like that. Like I play against the guys that are betting on the $10 tables because they're less experienced. So here you just you reminded me of another similarity. Uh, the tables, the tables and the table stakes uh, kind of have a huge effect on who you're playing. If you go to like, you know, 25 cent, 50 cent table versus like a $2, you know, $2, $5 table versus like whatever, uh, the players are going to be different, right? The, the 10 and 20 cent table, it's going to be a bunch of dumbasses. <laughs> we're going to do very irrational things and those irrational things will fuck you over. Whereas if yeah. you go to like, you know, a very high end table, you could at least count that these guys will be somewhat responsible. 
Right. So I think it's like, so that, like yeah. So I think it's a bit yeah. of a comparison with with low caps and high caps, right? Yeah, that that was kind of like the original reason why I didn't get into like when we were when we were talking about AMC. That was the that was the whole reason why I didn't get into originally is because I'm watching this thing trade out and like I know we kept talking about it and I was like, you know what? Like I just with all these Reddit guys who have no experience, I was like, I just don't know what it's gonna do. Like I could see a pattern that's beautiful, but these guys they don't know how to trade, so they could just make it. They just make everything not work, and like I'm seeing it all like play out now in hindsight, like. Because I, you know, I started trading it later on. I realized that like it didn't matter. Like it still played out the way it was supposed to play out. But like I didn't know that at the time, so I wasn't going to risk my money because you know I didn't know if there was enough capital with these these Reddit guys that they were going to be able to basically just make chart patterns, you know, invalid. So interesting. So at no point was there something that would confuse you. It, it looked like it pretty much made sense, eh? Yeah, like you could look back at AMC from the day it started getting all over Reddit and everything was perfect. Like there was no variances. It was just it was it was literally just more volume. Like the human the human side of it still played out exactly the same. But was the price action surprising? Like the uh, the scope, I guess. The only thing that was surprising was just the like the just the volatility of it based on the, like the market cap. Like you know, or, like it had like over 500 million share float and like 20% short float. So like you know, 20% short float is high. Like you can get like, you know, I don't really like shorting things that are 20%, but by the same token, 20% short float on like a 500 million share float company, like it's still not going to, you know, like you wouldn't expect that to like squeeze up, you know, five, $6 in a matter of like minutes, which it had many times. Right. So like, aside from that, like it, it basically, all it really did was you just kind of ignore the fact that it said 500 million share float and trade it like it was like 20 million share float. And then it was the exact same thing. Like, that's the only difference. Oh, wait. So you're saying even though its market cap or its size was so big, it still traded like a snow cap? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Just because there was so much volume, right? But, like, I, I, I still see that sometimes. Like, I'll see, because, like, like I say, you know, like, I like to trade the stuff that's around, like, you know, 10 to 50 million float. And because uh, they move, like, they move nicely and they move, like, with enough volatility you can make money on them. But um, like some days I'll see, I'll see stocks that are like 350 million float, but like where a normal day on say a 20 million float stock, you get like, you know, maybe like 30 million or 40 million shares traded. You might have a, a 300 million float stock that has like 350 million shares traded. So like it's still, it's still trading with the same kind of volume relative to float to make it volatile enough that you can, you can like expect the patterns to work. That's interesting. So it's like if a bunch of goons rushed the World Series of Poker and just took over all the pros, <laughs> just, like, just outnumbered them with dumbass. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's like no matter how tight you play, like you can't beat the mob. Like, no, that's the thing, right? It just all that's all literally all it did, which is great because now I know that for next time. So next time we have a like a Reddit AMC thing, like uh, you know, I know exactly how to play it, which is the same way that everything else works. So I'll be able to make money. Out money i should say that's hilarious yeah yeah that's man i got a i got a list of um fallacies over here sam do you mind pulling up my screen i just want to go down these and i just wanted to see if you could recognize any in like trading uh we could start with confirmation bias that's a pretty common one uh we believe what we want to believe by favoring information that confirms our pre-existing beliefs so i mean yeah. so i think this might affect newer people more in that they don't know what they don't know they have a very limited set of knowledge and so does anything fits that fits that 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 data set i guess they're going to say oh this must be it mm -hmm. 
What do you think? Yeah, confirmation bias is just like it's tricky when you're new, right? Because you don't like you don't know what's what necessarily is supposed to happen. We've talked about this a million times. Like, you know, even with the chat rooms and stuff like that, I think it, it's it's so it's so difficult. Like, if I was to teach someone how to trade like properly, like I would want to be having like basically like daily seminars with them, sitting them down and being like, this is what you need to look for. This is how this works. These are the specific, uh, you know, these are specific fundamentals you should look at and like really walk them through. And then if they have a bad trade, like be able to say like, Hey, you know, like show me the trade or whatever, like, okay, this, this didn't work just because it didn't work. Like everything else you did was right. You like, you stopped out. It was fine. Like everything else was good or like, no, you missed this. And then they can go back and say, Oh, okay. I'll remember that for next time kind of thing. So, okay. I got one question before we move on to the next one. So would you say the reason you're not falling victim to confirmation bias now is because you play those specific set of high probability uh, setups that you've spent a lot of time researching? So yeah. so there's no bias, obviously, because you you have the data to prove it. Yeah, exactly. You just play what you know works. And like, bottom line, guys, too, is like, you know, people always say, oh, markets are always changing and your patterns aren't necessarily going to work forever. To be honest, I kind of think that's bullshit myself because like that was that was something that held me back for a long time in that when i would start to see consistency in patterns like i'd always heard like all oh, the markets change the markets change they're always changing and i'm like okay well like i gotta learn something really fast because whatever pattern i learn is only going to work for like four or five months and then the markets are going to change i had like this preconceived notion but like after doing this for you know like four years now and like knowing guys that have been doing this for 20 years like there's guys that have been doing this for 20 years that literally have not changed any of their systems since like, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. So like the markets, the markets change, but they don't like the setups are still the same because human nature is still the same. Yeah. I was just going to say that if, as long as you're trading human nature and as long as human nature doesn't change, then I don't think why would, why would anything else change? Why would the market change? Yeah. So I just kind of want to let people know that if you find a system that's working consistently, the only thing you might have to do is like, change your targets or kind of like tighten up your rules. Like if, if we go to a bear market and you're a long bias trader, I would say just bring your profit targets down a little bit and like just tighten up, you know, like only play like your top, top, top setups, not like the okay ones. But other than, and then if we're in a crazy bull market, you can play like a little bit of, you know, the messier setups and let your, let your profits run a bit longer. But the, the core setup will, will, you know, remain consistent, you know, basically forever. I think that's a great uh, point. Like, it's a really important to know what type of market you're in, because um, it does change behavior, right? If there's an overall optimism or overall pessimism. Mm -hmm. So let's go to this next one. This one's interesting. Uh, conformity bias. Choices of mass populations influence how we think, even if against independent personal judgments. This can result in poor judgment, uh, poor decision making, and lead to groupthink. So this is, I think, where me the media comes into play. Like, a lot of people bought the drink the Kool-Aid of Nikola, right? CNBC, everybody was, was all over this company's nuts. They're the next Tesla. They have new battery technology. They, they have hydrogen, blah, blah. A lot of people buy into the stock. Um, I'm going to get your thoughts while I pull up the chart. What do you think? Yeah, sure. I'm just looking at our Google thing. It says we only have six minutes left before it shuts off. Oh. So, right. yeah, look at the chart quick, and then we're probably going to get kicked off. Because we're so cheap, guys. We're poor. We can't afford to pay for a Google subscription. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna, we'll figure that out. I think we're, I'm gonna have some swag come out soon. <laughs> Look at this chart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need to start donating to us so we can uh, fund our Google subscription. I know. Nothing big. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take a little buck here and there. Yeah. But 
It's probably like six bucks a month or something. We're just cheap. Yeah, I know. <laughs> look, at this, look, look at this thing, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, it peaked at 95.50 ish. It is at nine bucks. Wow. It's down like 90%. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so, so not only is this like a great example of group thing where this is the entire media pushing this thing, this hype train up. But you also see denial playing out every time one of these happens. This is denial, hmm. right? Even here, like, why? It's already hit like nine bucks, and then for some odd reason, I, there, there's got to be some news related to that one. But I mean, this is all denial, right? It's man, it's just so hard though. Like, especially when you're new, and like even now, like you know, I'm sure you still fall, fall victim to it a little bit every now and again, like. You know, you hear so much stuff of the same thing from everybody, and you start to kind of second guess yourself a little bit. Like, it's really difficult. Like, it's a it's a skill that takes a long time to master. Where you can you can sit there and have like everybody in the world saying like, "This is what's going to happen. This is what you should do." Like, no, you're wrong. No, you're an idiot. Why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense. Have you not seen this? Look at these news articles. And for you to ignore all that and just say. No, you know what? I'm going to risk my hard-earned money and I'm going to do the complete opposite of what these 8,000 people have just told me on Twitter and sent me all these news articles and all these reports. I'm going to do the opposite. Like that's that's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. And that yeah. comes back to the confidence thing again, right? Like you have to just be so confident and you just have to ignore all that stuff. It was like, like, again, like you know, again, I just talked about AMC quick, but it was like everybody was talking about like the options, gamma squeeze or whatever, right? Like, I don't know what that is. I've never heard of it before. It's never affected my trading. And I know that I've traded stocks that have a ton of option interest. So to me, I was like, okay, well, I'm still going to take this trade because even if it goes wrong, then it goes wrong and I learn something and I'll look into it. But until then, I'm just going to keep trading it the way that I know to trade it. And I, I was right. <laughs> so so, so I'll, I'll give you the perfect example of uh, when I went super against the grain. It was recently, it was the, the Bitcoin thing where everybody thought it was going to go to like, 20,000 or whatever it was. And like, that was like, I almost stood alone on that one. It went long. I know others went long, but like, it felt like I was alone there. And, um, and it worked out, but it only worked out because, <clears throat> excuse me, I felt strongly that I had a, um, an information advantage. Like not only did I look at a legit pattern that was not, <clears throat> excuse me, a legit pattern that was not um, almost recognized by anybody. And also um, that, I, I had the on-chain data paying for, for Glassnode and I was looking at the purchases and I was looking at the sales and I was like, any, all the accounts, anybody that needed to sell have sold. So I don't know where the downward pressure is coming from, but I know there's a lot of hungry people waiting to jump back in. And the second they start to sniff that this thing is turning around, they're probably going to pile on. Right. And so, but that was like once in a blue moon. Usually if the whole world is saying no, and I was thinking yes, Assuming I'm not in that asset, I just won't move. I won't. I won't take, make a decision either way. Mm. It's just. It's just too confusing. I just. I'd rather stay out. Yeah. Yeah. And don't worry about Google. I just um for 14 day trial I started it. Oh really? So we're good now. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for two weeks. Yeah. And then uh, authority bias favoring authority figures opinions lead. Yeah. So this is the same thing yeah. like yeah. news outlets, whatnot. Loss aversion. Oh, I think that one's interesting. Once a decision has been made, sticking to it rather than taking risks due to the fear of losing what you gained in starting something and wishing to see it finished. 
Uh, we also attach more value to something once we have made an emotional investment. In it. So yeah. do you want to give an example of this? I think probably the best example of that is taking profits too soon, especially if you're thinking about a new trader, because I do that a lot. I still do it a little bit to a certain degree, but not nearly as bad as I used to. But like, you know, I think anybody, anybody who's been like tracking trading or trying to get into trading for like a few months, they probably have like a general idea of like maybe one pattern they're kind of looking at and they probably have some stuff they've seen where they're like, okay, like if I see this, I'll get in here and I'm going to sell it here. Right. Like just kind of a, a rough structure. But what happens is like you take so many losses learning how to do stuff that like when you get in, it's like, you know, it goes the tiniest bit green and it's like 20%, like 20% of the way to your target. And you're like sitting there and you're like, okay, I'm out. I'm out. I'm just taking the money. I'm out. Right. And then you take it and it's like, oh, fuck you lose. And you know what happens is, you know, it'll go up to your target. But then the shitty thing about that is what usually ends up happening is because, you know, I know at least for me anyways, like, <clears throat> excuse me, I set up my data sets based on, you know, uh, like, like right now, like the pattern that I play now has like over a 90% win rate. Um, but like some of the other patterns I've set up, it's like, okay, let's say it has like a 70% win rate. Then I know that when I, when I take a loss on this, each loss on average is say like half of what the average win is, right? Based on my data. Cause I'm saying like, okay, like every time I see this pattern, if it works, it goes to, it goes to this level. If it doesn't work, it goes to that level and I'm out for half. So like, I know based on those numbers that, you know, I should be making money overall if I take every one of these trades. But what happens with, and like what, you know, it took me a long time to pick up on. I think a lot of people probably are in the same boat is you can have those, that data, but then you'll have a trade that works. And instead of letting it run the full way to your target, you'll take it off at like 50% or like 30% profits because you've taken losses and you're still not really sure. So now all of a sudden you're looking at a, at a pattern that's, you know, it works 70% of the time and, you know, and your losses on the other 30% or 50% of what the average win was, well, your average win now is so much smaller that really, you know, those losses are now probably over a hundred percent of what your average win is. So now, now the pattern doesn't work anymore because your losers are going to be bigger than your winners. Even though the data says something different, you're not trading it and you're not executing correctly to make those probability numbers work for your benefit. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, would you say, so what is, I guess the only solution to that is experience. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know if more knowledge is going to help. Well, from like my own personal experience, I would say the best thing to do is to take off. Like, you know, if you're still like really like skittish trying to like make money and stuff like that, I would say take off like 70% of your position. Like when you're in the money a little bit, just to kind of like make yourself comfortable and like, you know, take it so that if it hits your stop loss, you're out for zero. And then you can leave, you know, your last, you know, 30 or 20 or even like 10% of your position. Like you, even if, you know, it's going to go, it's going to run all the way to the end and it's going to make you another like $3. If you let that piece go, like just the mental aspect of letting that last piece, that last cover, that last sell get to that level before you hit sell and just getting those mechanics down is going to be a huge help. It's not the money thing. It's just like a, it's just a mechanics thing. So building confidence just through experience, building in the move. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you're still nervous, like take off most of your position for a couple bucks and let like e literally even one share, like just let it go to that level. Just so when you look at that chart, you can see that last cell on the level you wanted it to be. And then you're going to look at that and say, okay, well, I know how it felt to wait that long now. Like I know what it was like. I know what the price action was like. It, it's, it just has to become a, like a mechanics thing. 
This one's really interesting. False ca uh, causality bias. Citing sequential events as evidence the first cause the second. Uh, this can occur within the design thinking emphasis emphasize phase where you are intentionally seeking confirmation causality between what people say and what they do leading to taking the wrong problems. Okay, so I got an example of this. Um, in the abstract, let's say a CEO says he's going to do perform, the, the company's going to perform a certain way this year. Mm -hmm. uh, or by the end of this year, the company will have this much revenue. Um, and then at the end of the year, the company has something within that range. So you think, okay, well, he said it, he must have done something, hit the target. But there, look at how much you don't know in, in that whole story, right? It's, it's really easy to say something, and then it's really, there's a lot of, um, um, there's a lot of issues that could go, that could apply where what, what he did had no bearing on the result. Those other things, outside forces, was what brought it to this result. And so, like, it looks like A, uh, you know, A plus B equals C, but then it really is not, right? So a lot of times it's, like, it's really hard to judge unless you have more information, but it's really easy to, like, I think the danger with this is, like, it's just assuming A plus B equals C because you saw something like that show up, and then going forward, you always think, okay, well, if a CEO says the target's going to be this by the end of the year, it's probably going to be this, and you're going to be wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people have probably got that, like even since 2020, like that whole false causality thing, because they're maybe it's not the exact same thing, but you know, just just the fact that we were in the probably one of the craziest bull markets ever. We had so many people that were just buying stuff because it was going up and buying stuff because there was these news reports coming out. And then, you know, now we're into the next year and it's not working anymore. So like that's the same kind of thing, I guess. You know, a lot of people are reading stuff and they're seeing what earnings are and they're seeing all these like overinflated numbers and like artificially pumped up stocks and thinking like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, this just, this just works every time. But then you, things start to change a little bit and all that just kind of falls apart because there was no real, um, there was no real cause for the trade in the first place. It was just basically, you know, you just jump in because you jumped in everybody's talking about it. Actually, I got a great recent example. I just thought of this because somebody messaged me about it. So remember the narrative at, 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 uh, earlier in the, in the spring, it was, um, it was all in over nudes, bonds, bonds, bonds. If bonds sell off, there's, there's an inverse relationship with stock. So then if bonds <laughs> yields are going up, then stock prices will go down, right? Well, that was true at first. Where my buddy got screwed was that he thought that was true and bet that way. And then there was a period where, I think it was May, where bonds went up, where bond yields went up, and so did stocks. And he got fucked because he sold his position. And so is there a correlation? Remember I showed you, um, I have that indicator on my chart that I use sometimes, which shows correlation. I'm like, there's like a very loose correlation between bonds. Like, well, not loose, but it's like 80%. It's like 0 0.8, 0 0.8. And so like there's 20% of the time it's not true. And if you made your bet that 20% of the time, you got it fucked. Yeah. Yeah, it just depends on what, what the loss is that time, right? Yeah. yeah. With anything, your, your, your odds of winning are 80% and 20% loss. You just have to make sure that whenever you do have that 20% loss, it outweighs the 80% of the time you win. And then you're, you're lost. It's natural for you to think like that, but like I think everybody started out. It's like all in, all out. It's like if you're all in, all out, that eighty percent is not your friend. No, no, hundred percent. But I haven't found something that works hundred percent of the time yet. Exactly. What's the action bias when faced with ambiguity, favoring doing something or anything without any prior analysis, even if it is counterproductive? Yeah, we, I think we know this one well. Yeah, we could probably skip right over that. All right. So, serving self-serving bias, favoring decisions that enhance self-esteem. 
Oh, Michael fucking Burry. I, I will. I'm going to use this as an example. <laughs> he hasn't been proven wrong yet, but he hasn't been proven right, and it's not looking good for him. The guy took a short in um, Tesla, and he took a short in Ark Invest, and he's um, betting that bond yields will go up significantly. Um, or down. I can't remember which one it was. He made a really asymmetric bet where it's like, if he's wrong, he's going to lose big. Hmm. And, and so, and so I, the reason I bring him up is because I think he's drinking his own cool. Like he was absolutely right in the 08 uh, financial crisis, but that was because it was, he saw something other people didn't in that data, right? He knew mortgages were going to, were going to default. So that was the catalyst. His, his only thesis about Tesla is that it's worth more than he thinks it's worth. A lot of things are. What does that even mean? Yeah. Because you think it's worth more? Like, no. That's a terrible idea. I mean, <clears throat> you want to have your own, like, you want to have your own vision and your own, like, bias on a trade. But as soon as it goes wrong, you have to be able to immediately, you know, shut that off and, and cover your position or cut your loss, right? And I just want to point out that I think Tesla's up something like 15 to 18% since he made his famous tweet. So, and, he, and the thing is, he's not short the stock, he's, he bought puts. And so not only does he have to be right, but he has to be right about the time, the expiry date too. So he's losing value every day. No okay. thanks. Yeah, so let's go to frame advice. Being influenced by the way in which information is presented rather than the information itself. I mean, I could, I could see this as being... Um, this could be a bunch of ways to see this. Uh, Nikola's a good one where it's like, if you just look at them on the surface, they, look, they looked exactly like they were selling themselves to be. And you have to kind of look deeper to realize that there, there's, something, there's something wrong. Um, yeah, I think the only way past this is just, just to have more information. I don't, I don't know if it applies to trading, though. Um, a little bit. I think just like a new, like the first thing that comes to mind is just news releases. Like, I know I mentioned one of the ones before where it was like this small cap company made a press release the one day that said we're now selling our products on Amazon and it like shot way up. But if you like literally just clicked on the link of the article, it gave you the date when that happened, which was like a year and a half earlier. So it was like completely irrelevant news and then it sold right back off. So that's a good one. Oh, I yeah. got a good one. Being influenced by the way in which the information is presented just um, last month. Every news outlet was like Tesla China sales, car sales was cratering. And it looked oh, like yeah. it, if you only looked at China's data, right? It went from like, you know, 20,000 units down to like 8,000. They're like, oh, you know, you think, okay, well, shit, they just lost 12,000 sales. Well, they exported like 25, 30,000. Yeah. They have, you know, they're making 35, 40,000 a, a month and they're selling out every month. The, the, the issue is where is it going? Yeah. When their sales were like double or something, weren't they? What they were supposed to be? Dude, by the end of this year, their sales, despite the chip shortage and a battery shortage, are probably still going to be up 50% year over year. That's insane. <laughs> Ambiguity. Favoring options where the outcome is more knowable over which it is not. That feels like trading, but I can't think of an example. No. Skip that one. <laughs> Strategic misrepresentation. Knowingly understating the cost and overstating the benefits. Well, that's okay. just, that just comes down to your percentages, right? What's, what's your loss and win percentage? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, bandwagon bias, a commonly known bias favoring ideas already adopted by others. It's self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah. Projection. Wait, shit, how many? We're, we're done. 
Oh, we're almost there. Last four. Okay. Five. Yeah. A commonly known bias uh, favoring ideas already adopted by others. Uh, these are kind of the same. From behavior mm -hmm. economics over predicting future tastes or preferences will match current tastes. Or oh, I, I could EV this all day. So all the, <laughs> all, <laughs> all the analysts love predicting that the future of EV. So, that, so the best analysts in, in the world are saying by 2040, maybe 50% of cars on the road will be EVs. That's analysts. And they, the reason they had to reach that number is because they're using a linear uh, progression. But the adoption oh. curve is an S, is an S yeah, curve, for sure. right? Yeah. So at some point, the majority is going to catch on, and then it just escalates, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the first 20 takes a while. The middle 60 just boom, and then the last 20 takes another while. And so that's projection yeah. bias. Well, um, it's like UK said, and I think that article we read, New York now has mandated, I think, 2035, they're not selling new gas vehicles. Yeah. Everything's getting zero emissions. So you got, you know, you got, what, 14 years before you can't buy a gas vehicle in New York and in Europe. Yeah. Actually, let me paint the timelines. Uh, maybe we could stop it with the next one, but let me, I want to paint the timeline with this one. So uh, two years ago, China went out and said, we want all in, in, in sold in China to be, um, sorry, we want all cars in China by 2035 to be EVs. So okay. prior to that announcement, what analysts would have predicted that? And China is the largest car market in the world. And so if an analyst can't predict that, obviously your chart's going to be wrong. So that, boom, just set EVs to another course, right? And then that yeah. California announcement, boom, set EVs, because they're like the largest state um, car market. Yeah. And then just recently, California said by 2030, um, all ride-hailing uh, companies need to be 80% EV. And then Lyft and Uber said, we're going to be 100% by 2030. It's going to be everywhere. This is all within like a six-month period. Yeah. I get, like, my advice to anybody would be, like, if you can afford it and you're... Next time you get a new vehicle, just get an electric one because it's going to force your hand if you don't. <laughs> Actually, so I got something. So somebody messaged me last night like, yeah, I love Teslas, but I wish they made a cheaper car. And I saw a projection by a guy who's actually pretty good at predicting the future because he understands this FS curve thing. And he, had, and he drew a different curve. He drew a cost curve. And basically he predicted, I think, five years ago where the cost of batteries and cars would be today. And then five years ago, they, called, they said he was nuts. He's like, there's no way you're going to get a 200-mile EV at $35,000. You do. It's the Model 3. And so yeah. his projection is that by 2025, there's going to be a $10,000 EV with 200-mile range, which is 330-something kilometers. That's so with, within four <laughs> years, you know, the, the yeah. trend continues. So it's coming. Um, which one do which one you, you want to touch on? Uh I think anchoring is interesting. Yeah, most of these are pretty, like, pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, let's go over anchoring in the last one. We'll wrap it up here. All right, anchoring. Spot information known or that's first shown. Yeah, see, like, again, that just kind of takes me back to that, that Amazon example where everybody already knew their product was on Amazon, but they just made a press release about it. I think in terms of chart patterns, I could go back to the, to the um, Bitcoin one. Everybody and their mother was calling for a fucking head and shoulders. Remember? For months, there was head and shoulders. I'm like, you know. And the more it played out, the more I realized it was not likely to happen. And then, yeah. 
So, you know, and, and remember even me, like I even changed my mind. I was like, well, okay, maybe the head, head and shoulders is playing out. I, it took a small short position in that ETF. Because, you know, I th- what's, what's that thing you always say, like we're, we're, we need to be able to change our minds? Um, it was a good way to put it you had. Have a good quote? I don't remember. <laughs> just the way you, yeah, just the way you worded it was good, but it was basically the, the idea that um, you well, want like, to be able you gotta to be- your decision but you also have to immediately be able to accept when you're wrong yeah yeah that's that's exactly it and i think everybody anchored onto that idea where we have a head and shoulders it's infallible there it is and like like let's yeah. bet against this thing and then yeah i got fucked yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right should we end it on that note yeah let's wrap it up all right goons thank you for watching and um please send us any questions or comments uh we'd love to answer it for you and send us and send us donations so we can afford Google. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have a good one.